Good morning. Please turn your copies of the scriptures to Luke 15. One of the things I've been trying to do, it I don't know that'll happen every Sunday as we read through, is to to preach from to preach from there we go the the scripture that we've got upcoming. Um, so if we're reading Luke this week, for those of you doing the gospel reading, by the way, look back there and there's Joel and Annie and their two boys. Uh, welcome. Uh, it's good to see you here and to see your children here. Bless you. And to the visitors. By the way, as before I even get into that, next Sunday is a great Sunday. John Schmidt knows how to cross all the barriers in Holmes County. And so um, bring your Amish friends, bring your English friends. It's a good Sunday to fill up the place and have an enjoyable time together. Luke 15. So we're, we're last week we read Mark. This week we're reading Luke. Uh, for those of you who are still... And by the way, don't try to catch up. Just keep going. Uh, if you're reading with us, keep... And, and so I tried to look ahead and say, where's a passage in Luke? And uh, so I'd like to, to preach from Luke 15 this morning. And uh, the first few verses set the context. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So there's two groups of people who are kind of approaching Jesus, and uh, there are the tax collectors and sinners. Now tax collectors in that world were considered kind of the dregs of society. They were the... um, they weren't necessarily like IRS agents today. They were more like um, bail collectors and uh, uh, people who go after people for bail money. Or uh, what do you call those uh, high-risk, uh, the short-term loan, check-cashing loan places? That's what these people were. They, they extorted money from people with the claim to give it to the Roman government, but they, they lived on what they could collect extra from people. They didn't get paid by Rome. They lived on what they get paid extra. So these people weren't very pleasant people. They were the extorters. They were the mob. The mob. Uh, the mafia. And, uh, and sinners. Uh, sinners kind of captures the rest. Tax collectors and sinners. But then uh, the other group of people were the Pharisees and the scribes. And they grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And... I was trying to just kind of set the context for this and think about this a little bit and think about these two groups of people. They're diametrically opposed in their society and world. The tax collectors and sinners are the dregs of society. They're the people you don't want to meet in a dark alley. The the, um, Pharisees and the scribes are the very upright, morally upright uh, religious leaders. They're the people you really don't want to meet Sunday mornings. Uh, but they're going to be there. And they, they know how to live well, how to live well-behaved. And as you know, tax collectors and sinners don't. And then Jesus, Jesus hears this, and he, 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 he speaks three, he tells them three stories. And uh, think about these three stories. The first of these stories, he says, if a man has a hundred sheep, and he's missing one, he goes out and looks after that one. He goes out and finds that one sheep. And I, I, I was thinking about that story. Uh, you can imagine uh, the man goes out and he says when he, when he finds that sheep, 
He calls all his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice, I found my sheep. And he tells the, uh, the people, and it, 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 he seems to be, he is actually addressing this not to the tax collectors and the sinners. He's addressing it to the Pharisees and the scribes. And he says, uh, In the same way there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than the 99 who are righteous and haven't strayed. Now what do you think the tax collectors, and, I mean, that, sorry, the Pharisees and scribes felt when he said that? Well, look at us. We've lived all our lives like this. And he says, well, yeah, okay, they could kind of get that. Then he tells them another story about a woman who has ten silver coins and loses one. And she sweeps her entire house to try to find that silver coin. She looks everywhere to try to find that silver coin. Earlier this week, I I had a copper blank uh, that came from the new courthouse in uh, Millersburg, the cupola on the courthouse. It was a copper blank they cut, and I had one. And I dropped it, and it rolled around. I couldn't find it. I got down on the floor and looked and looked. And I'm like, well, okay. Uh, it must have rolled over something. And, you know, Theo was helping me look. I thought maybe he can sniff it out, and he couldn't find it. And, uh, and then the house got cleaned, and suddenly it shows up. Okay, so that's what this woman does. She, she, she has ten coins, and she could have said, well, I've got nine left. But she doesn't. She goes after that one coin, and she finds it. And when she calls it, and by the way, this is a lot of money in their world. This would be like losing uh, uh, several thousand dollars in our world. And she says, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. She calls her friends and neighbors. Same thing the guy did with the sheep. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. By now, the Pharisees are beginning to say, what's this man trying to tell us? And then there is this story. The story that all of us have heard so many times. And in reading it this last time through again, uh, three, four weeks ago, when I read through Luke again, it suddenly struck me that maybe we've been reading this story wrong. Maybe instead of one prodigal son, there's two prodigal sons. There are two sons that need the father's love. Let's read the story. To illustrate this point further, and I'm going to read from a little different translation, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before I die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About, this time, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him in, into his fields to feed the pigs. By the way, these are Jews. What is forbidden to a Jew? Pigs. Yesterday we had a um, Muslim family in the center, it's just kind of stopping, and um, they ask if there's any place that doesn't serve pork or use any pork because they're not going to eat it, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't near touch it. And so for Jews, when Jesus tells this story to them, it, pigs, he, he could have chosen animal, another animal, he chose pigs, because he wanted to reflect how far this sun had sunk. This sun had sunk to the very bottom. He was out feeding pigs. Notice what it says. 
The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as your hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music. He heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, What was going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never, even, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on the prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has now come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I certainly do not want to minimize at all the fact that the younger brother went and squandered his inheritance. Yet we so often read this story and our entire attention is on the younger brother. And Jesus, when I read through it in a different translation, kind of saw it a little differently, I saw two brothers. And both of them do not have any idea, at least initially, what it means to celebrate the Father's love for them. To live well with the Father. If the younger brother, let's just start with the younger brother, let's just start with him. He received one-third of the estate. So what happens in that world is he would have received one-third. The older brother would have received his third. And the father kept the third to live on. And to ask the father for his inheritance while the father was still living was a shocking disrespect. In essence, he's saying, you're dead to me. Give me your money. Give me my share of the money. Let me go. You're dead. And uh, the word property that is used in Greek is significant. Uh, The Greek word is bios, where we get our word uh, like uh, the bioatmosphere. Bios means life. So the son is saying, "Give give me the 
the life that belongs to me. Let me go do what I want to with my own life. There are other Greek words that uh, Jesus could have used here for capital or money. He didn't. He used the word life. Give me my bios. Give me my life that I rightly deserve and let me go live it on my own. You're dead. And he walks away. And when we do that, when we live like that, in essence we're saying God is dead. You're dead to me. I'm not going to live for you. You're no longer my father. Let me on my own. Let me do it myself. And if we are honest, all of us at some point in our lives, and maybe multiple points in our lives, have lived like this. We've lived like this. We've lived like God doesn't exist. We've said, give me my life and let me do it on my own. And we make a wreck of it. I certainly can testify to this. And there is only one answer when we end up in the pig pen. Because we're ultimately going to end up there because we're going to be alone. That deep feeling of aloneness when you don't have anything to connect to. And so he comes back to his father. And Jesus used these distinct words in this story that are aimed at someone or a group of people. He says, when the father saw him coming, and it gives the idea that the father was watching. The father was always kind of watching, waiting. When is he going to come back? He saw somebody walking down the road, and he saw, ah, whoo, is that, no, that's not him. And the father was watching. And suddenly one day the father's heart jumped inside of himself. And he looked down and he said, that walks kind of like my son. He has a posture like, is, is that him? Could it be? Yeah, a little closer, a little closer. And it says, and, the, and the, the language that Jesus uses is very distinct. It says he ran. And in the Middle Eastern world of that time, grown men, especially men of any authority, never ran. It was considered unsightly for a grown man to run. See, you should just watch me run, but anyway, it's unsightly. But it was considered above their stature or below their stature to run. They were considered above that. They didn't move fast. The world brought everything to them. They sat and waited while the world came to them because they were the authorities. But in, in, Jesus says in this story that the father ran, ran down and grabbed his son. Can you imagine? The son just came out of the pig pen. He is ugly. He is starving. He has not had a shower for a long time. His clothes are torn. He's sold his clothes. He has nothing. He doesn't even have shoes on his feet. And the father comes hauling down the road and grabs him and says, my son, my son, who was dead is alive. Life. My son's life that he took on his own has come back to me. Such a beautiful picture of what God did for us, for us, when God sent his son. See, this is a picture of, this is, this is about the younger son, but it's also about the father. The father who says, look, 
I am watching for you. I'm, I, I can't wait. My heart yearns and burns inside myself for you to come back to me. There is something so powerful about that. Something that all of us really want. We want that. We want that from our dads, but we really want it from our Heavenly Father. Some of the most precious moments in my... Well, I'll just tell you a little story. Yesterday, something happened um, that I've never seen happen. Uh, I have an Olor Amish man who works at the center and gives tours. And he is rather stoutly built. It's Bender Ray, if those of you know Bender Ray. And uh, he's rather stoutly built. And we, he, he gave a tour to uh, a couple from Portland, Oregon. They were so taken by the tour. And for uh, quite some time afterwards, they stood out. And we talked about the, the life of these people and why they were willing to give their lives and so on. And at the end of the time, the, the man who was from Europe said, looked at Ray and said, Do you do hugs? Uh, the old Oramish preacher Ray, isn't, Ray said, yeah, of course I do hugs. And uh, the man came, he was a big man, much bigger than Ray, um, came around the end of the counter and just grabbed Ray and Ray disappeared. Literally, Ray disappeared behind the man. And I, I suddenly had this, I was thinking about this, I suddenly had this picture of the father, this stout, well-built, very well-established, rich man running down the road and this skinny little kid who's all dirty, his son. And the son disappears into the father's embrace. You know what? That's what God wants to do with us. They go in and the father says, we need to throw a party. Get that calf. Get the best calf we've got. We're having veal today. And they, they kill the calf. And the, this, this other son now um, there's another son here. And by the way, by now the Pharisees and the scribes would have said, Yeah, yeah, amen, brother. Amen, we got that. Look at all these sinners and, and uh, tax collectors out here. Once they're willing to repent. Hmm. <laughs> uh, yes, there will be rejoicing in heaven when they behave. When they give back the money. The older brother hears a sound. He is out busy at work. But he hears a sound. What is that I hear? What is that? What's the sound? Somebody go tell him to crank his boombox down. And the servant says, Oh, you didn't hear? Servants come running out. There's going to be a party. There's rejoicing. There's going to be a party. The older brother says, what party? And he said, oh, you didn't hear? He gets a little closer and he said, what? they're dancing. What's the deal? He said, your brother, your brother who has come, who is lost has returned. Now stop and think, the older brother. By now the older brother, every time they talk about the younger brother, he says, yeah. You know, we've kind of written him off. He's counting his money, by the way, because two-thirds, you know, the third the father kept will go to him. And, uh, yeah, you know, yes, we still pray for him. He's out there living the wasted life. 
And the, young, and the older brother said, hmm, look, I'm the only son. I'm going to get everything. He gets a little closer and says, oh, wait, what's going on here? Why is dad throwing a party? And he sees his father and he says, and by the way, look at the difference in the interchange here between how the younger son came back to his father and how the older son comes to his father. The older son comes with this kind of demandingness saying, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? You're wasting my stuff on him. I was thinking just about the difference. The younger son says, look, I I messed it up. I'm willing to be your servant. Let me just be your servant. At least I have food. And the older son says, you're wasting your stuff. Why are you doing this? And that the father's response is powerful. The father says, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. You've been well-behaved. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. Your brother, who is dead, has come back to life. He has come back to bios. He's come back to life. He says, um, why have you never done this for me? And the father says, son, I've, I've given you so much. Everything I have is yours. Tim Keller in his book, The Prodigal God, puts words in the older brother's mouth and he says it like this. It's what the older brother would have said. I've worked myself to death and earned what I've got. But my brother, this son of yours, has done nothing to earn anything. Indeed, he's merited only one thing, getting kicked out of the family. And yet you lavish him with everything. Where is the justice in this? I've never disobeyed you. You have no right to make these decisions without consulting me. Because after all, all of this is mine. And the story ends. The story ends right there. We don't know whether that older brother ever joined the party. We don't know. The impression is he didn't. But the invitation is open. Now, return with me to the audience that heard Jesus say this. Tax collectors and sinners, they know exactly where they fit. And suddenly, the Pharisees and scribes also understand where they fit. They're the older brother. And if we're honest, all of us at times have been the younger brother, but we've also been the older brother. Where we've looked and said, God, That's not fair. Look at all the things I've done for you. Look at everything I do on a regular basis for you. Look how well behaved I am. You know what you hear in the younger brother and the older brother's voice? I've never, I kind of wanted to do those things he did, but I never did. And the father is almost, you could just hear these undertones of the father saying, but you really did in your heart. And that's the problem.
See, the older brother thought that his party would come once he was free from the father. The younger brother thought his party would come once he was free from the father. What they both didn't realize is the father could throw them a party that was beyond their comprehension, that would bring life. And so, brothers and sisters and friends this morning, both of the brothers are the same. They both chafe under the father's authority. Each one rebelled, one by being very bad and one by being very good. It is not in his sins that the older brother created a barrier between his father and himself. Rather, it's in the pride of how well-behaved he was that that barrier was created. Both of these men, both of these brothers, both of these sons were alienated from the father's heart. Both were lost sons. Flannery O'Connor writes of one of her characters, she says, there was a deep, black, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. And sometimes for those of us who grew up good, well-behaved, upright, have it all together, we do that to avoid a true confrontation with the Father. Now, there are others of us, and maybe we find ourselves at different places at different times, and maybe we're both of them. Others of us figure out the way to avoid the Father is to run away and have our own party. And we discover that we're having it with pigs who oink and smell bad. But both are lost. And the son who was found, the son who the father rejoiced in, was the one who said, I've committed a great wrong. I was wrong. Earlier this week, I was in conversation with someone or listening to a conversation between two people and they were talking about leadership and life and the man says, the only way to be a good leader, the only way to be a good person or, or to create a sense of power in our world is to live in the Father's love. And you know, the younger brother came home Think about this party. He sat there and he realized, he probably realized that I don't have anything left. I'm going to have to figure out a way to go forward from here. It's going to be hard because I've wasted everything. But I have the one thing that is the most powerful, the Father's love. And I think, and I say this from experience, that the hardest thing for us as God's people, to ever do is to take the necessary means and time and space and repentance to sit with the Father's love. If we want to drastically 
change our world, that will have to happen. Because we can't older brother change into our world. It'll look really bad. And we can't younger brother change our world because that won't be any... The money is going to run out. Life will run out. But suddenly, they're having a party. And the two brothers are given an option. The brother who repented is the one who is there. Let's stand together. Like I said, I have found myself on both, as both brothers. And I think you have too. My invitation and the invitation from Scripture is for you to say, how can I embrace the Father? How can I be embraced by the Father? Lord Jesus, we invite you to come and to speak to our hearts. Thank you that you're the Father who is looking and watching and saying, oh, my son, where is he? Where is he? And when he was yet a far way off, you saw us and you ran down the road and you brought life to us. And then, in those other moments when we say, you know what, life isn't very fair. I mean, those people look at how they lived. You say, oh, my dear child, everything I have is yours. Can't you see? Join the party. Come and enjoy life. Let me put my arms around you. You're my, you're my son. Jesus, help us to know how to live with that this week. Help us to know practically what it looks like to take the necessary means and time to embrace your love that you so lavishly give to us. In Jesus' name, amen.